This podcast is brought to you by Shift Management Supervisory Leadership Certificate Course, where online learning and live web coaching bring out the very best in frontline and middle managers. Move from operations to management thinking and develop the skills for leadership, reaching your company goals at the same time. Check out our Supervisory Leadership Certificate Course on the shiftworkplace.com website today. Welcome to the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. Today I have a really amazing guest. Her name is Denise Liebetrau, and she is the founder of Prosper Consulting. And she defines herself as being a corporate refugee who was tired of working in the area of being a specialist in compensation and rewards and career and salary negotiation as a cog in the system and stepped out on her own to start to make a difference for small and medium-sized businesses. Denise has been a consultant and compensation expert with more than 25 years of experience at Fortune 500 companies. And she helps small and medium-sized businesses to get the people processes, performance metrics, and rewards in place to maximize profit and impact. She helps career-driven professionals get paid with their worth and have careers aligned to their values through coaching. Denise and I were speaking together just before our interview, and I think we're really aligned with the idea of getting women in boardroom positions and getting women in C-suite positions where they are supported by the cultural ecosystem so that they can survive and thrive and move past the being squeezed out place that they happen to be right now. So I'm looking very much forward to our interview together, and Denise, welcome. Thank you. So Denise, that little bit of a bio that I have never really tells who people are. And it's just, it's just wonderful to hear straight from the person who is in the interview to say who you are and what you do more from your own words. So please sure. go ahead and tell the audience. Sure. Um, I am an HR expert who um, is passionate about making a difference in people's lives. I love to work with business leaders and business owners on their HR programs. And I love helping them figure out what does business success mean? And then how do we show up as leaders and build company cultures and build reward systems and um, operational processes that drive the right results uh, for the business. And a lot of it has to do with those day-to-day conversations and how we show up as leaders for ourselves as well as others. I love having the impact on individuals who are either stuck in a career and they want to make a career change or they're in the middle of a job search and they want it to go faster and they want to have better results or maybe they're in a space of needing to negotiate for a pay raise in the company they love or at the end of a job search or they want a promotion and they don't know quite how to set themselves up for success in that space. So I like playing in those areas and I'm a speaker as well and so I speak on a number of topics in this space as it relates to um, HR and pay negotiation and stories of resilience to drive performance. So I'm, I'm delighted to get to talk to you and to get to contribute to your audience. Wonderful. Thank you. That was a great introduction. I'm wondering if you could share a couple of incidents from your childhood that you believe made you into that person that you are today. Um, a little bit about my background. I grew up in Kansas here in the U.S. I grew up on a farm, a family farm that had been in the family for generations. And so um, as you might expect, I was surrounded in a farming community by um, animals. We had cows and hogs, and we, you know, had the dogs that were uh, running around the farm, and we would get up early and do chores. And as I was thinking about something that kind of demonstrates where I come from as a person and as a leader, I have a very strong resilience, grit attitude. I never give up. And 
one of the things I did in the summertime when I was a kid was we would walk the fields early in the morning with a corn knife, a machete kind of a thing, and we would hand cut the weeds from the milo fields and the other soybean, et cetera, fields instead of spraying them with chemicals as much as, as we do today. And I can remember getting up really early at the sunrise and I have a skin sensitivity to pollen. And so I'd walk the fields in long pants and boots and long sleeve shirt and was sweating and it was hot. And usually the rest of the people who would walk the field would quit. And it was my dad and I who would last the longest. And um, I just have a, a never give up kind of an attitude. And um, I think I, I grew into that by having experiences like that as a child. I love that image. I was just picturing you walking through the fields and taking out the weeds. And it was long. (laughs) Taking out the weeds in a field is certainly a lot more than taking out the weeds in your little garden in the city. (laughs) (laughs) It is. There's a whole level of, yeah. Um, And I often say when I tell that story, you know, I did that for many years when I was in high school and junior high as as well as, you know, a little bit in college. But um, there got to be a point in college when I made sure I had a summer job that was in a nice air conditioned office. Because I was like, you know, that cutting weeds and carrying the machete and walking through mud and uh, having, you know, rash break out because I got too much pollen on my bare skin. Done. You know, you you did your time. You paid your dues. I did. I'm the oldest of four kids and and my, my siblings would complain after a while when I wouldn't come home. And I'm like, you know what? I did it for years. Good luck. Well, that's also good, too, because it's about passing the torch and recognizing when it's time to move with grace into the next place in your life. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, I was trying to think of another incident of my childhood um, that I use today. And I don't know, it seems small, but maybe it's not. I can remember as a child being told how to dress how to dress up, when to dress up, that clothes and your bearing and how you showed up mattered. And I look at, you know, I think sometimes we're business casual today and it's a little too casual. And so I grew up in a family that, you know, when you worked, you worked and you you had the old work clothes on. But when you went to church and you went to a funeral or a wedding or you went, you were in front of somebody who was a senior leader, an executive at the bank or whatever you dressed. And so I'm a firm believer in showing up um, both in how you dress as well as your mannerisms and how you speak in a way that is powerful. And, you know, we call it executive presence today, but I, w- I learned that at the knee of my mother and my father. And they told us, how do you show up and how do you dress appropriately for different occasions? That is really important. I don't think that's small at all, because that's one of those things where you're talking about small courtesies and the yeah. daily interactions and the way you show up every day. And how you present yourself is is really critical. You know, if you, I, I remember one time I was in the middle of a business transaction with a potential mm-hmm. client, and um, I called his home and his mm-hmm. wife, his wife answered. I had met his wife before and sure. she was very put together and everything looked, looked great. And she sounded really great. But when she answered the phone at home, she sounded quite different. And oh. I was so put off by that, that I decided not to continue with the transaction because I yeah. figured that there was a public face and a private face and there, there yeah. was a big gap in between them. And it just didn't sit well with me. It was very hard for me to trust the client after that incident, because the way she spoke on the phone, it was rude. It was inappropriate. Yeah. And and it wasn't like the same, it, even the same person. Yeah, it's that alignment when you are misaligned. And I really think executive presence, I have a, a tool I use in my coaching practice, and it's a multi-rater assessment and a tool on executive presence. And it's style and substance and character. And it really is leadership, right? It's how do you show up? 
with style and substance and leadership. And there's 15 attributes underneath each of those headings. And I'm a firm believer in executive presence being something that you cultivate in yourself and that you use 24 seven. Um, and I'll give you an example that I just had last night in my life. I have an 11 year old son and a 15 year old daughter and we had some friends over and another little boy in my son's class and we were all eating dinner last night and my neighbor's kid was saying, you know, I, I hate that math teacher. I don't, they had math worksheets and we were trying to get the boys to work on him. And, and I hate that math teacher. And she's so strict. I looked at him and I said, you know what, you will always have people in your life when you get older and now that you don't like, or you think is too strict or too many rules, but you can't let that hurt your performance. Because if you let that hurt your performance and your attitude, you're not going to show up and be the best version of you. And so I know you don't want to do your math worksheet. I know you've got all these stories in your head about how you hate that teacher and you don't want to do it. And he literally had made up answers to get out of doing his worksheet. And I made him erase his answers and work his math problems because I was like, you, you don't get to choose that. That's not as an 11 year old kid. You don't get to choose that because that's a practice and a habit that will show up um, later in your life. And you've got to get used to working with people that you don't like. And it's how you show up and it's your attitude. It's your executive presence. And you have to do the job you've been assigned to do. In his case, his job was to do the math. Right. And I suppose that's another example as a kid. I used that last night with the boys as they were doing homework. But I grew up in a family where you you may not like so-and-so telling you to do something. You, you still got to do it. You don't get to like have a bad attitude and show up and not perform. Suck it up, buttercup, and move on. <laughs> get it done. Yeah, and this idea of not liking someone or hating somebody because they get you to do something you actually need to do is mm-hmm. is really wrongheaded as well. Mm-hmm. It's projecting your desire to not want to do something onto a dislike of a person, which is, is very unfair not, to that person. Yeah, it, it's not a healthy attitude to have. Mm-hmm. And, and we all know adults who probably got away with stuff as kids that now it hurts their performance as an adult and they aren't leading themselves in a way that they need to. And mm-hmm. So yeah, I've got lots of stories. Hmm. Well, those are great ones. So you were born, you already started to talk a little bit about being born into a farming community in Kansas. And yeah. there are other, you know, within that you would have probably belonged to the agricultural community, would have belonged to whatever the religious community was in the area at the time. There's, there's, you know, there's also that whole sense of being in a particular landscape, right? Mm -hmm. People that are on the prairies or near a river or who are by the ocean or in the mountains, they all have different approaches to things. There's, I mean, there's so many groups that people are born into. What would you say has most influenced your sense of culture right now? In terms of what I was born into when I was a kid? Mm -hmm. Yeah groups you were born into and they can also Uh, be your age groups your family yeah Yeah. I would say that um, things that influence me now when I go back and visit family in Kansas I'm still struck by the hard work ethic that I learned I'm struck by the strong religious and faith and I I do have a core faith that I believe in and, and a spiritual foundation that I'm proud of but I'm also struck by some things that are negative right I mean there's a strong patriarchy in the rural areas where women are kind of second class and you defer to your husband. And if you're not married, there's something wrong. And so there are some negatives that come out of that space as well. But I would say things that probably influence me most now are that agricultural, get it done, never give up, hard work, show up the right way type of a perspective. So it's the agricultural, it's the religion, it's the influence of family that influenced Mm -hmm. me from what I was born into. Tell me a little bit more about your family and about your religion. 
Um, so grew up in the Catholic faith, went to Catholic grade school. I look back now and I think, oh, faith was just interweaved in the daily conversations. As I was growing up, I'm not sure I'm doing that quite as effectively with my children as, as my parents did. But there was a very strong foundation of will, whether anything, it's God's plan. He's never going to give you anything that you can't survive and, and so forth. I'm not sure I subscribe to all those same beliefs now as I've gotten some different life experiences, but that certainly is one. And then from a family perspective, just strong sense of um, focus on family and relationships and on love. I grew up in a very uh, loving family and a family that was, you know, somewhat dysfunctional, but not off the charts like some people have. And grew up in a family where the extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, lots of get-togethers, lots of meals together, lots of fun. So I'm very grateful for family. And um, while I don't have family here in Denver, Colorado, where I live, I have lots of friends. And so that focus on building strong, healthy relationships with the people that I love is another part of who I am these days. Belonging to a community and feeling that mm -hmm. you have a part in it and then doing your share to nurture those relationships, right? Very much. If anybody's ever read the book, Give and Take by Adam Grant. Yes, I love that right. book. That's one of so, my favorite books. Yeah, it's one of mine too. On my website, I have a list of book recommendations. And if people are curious, it's prosperconsultingllc.com. And just click on resources and click on book recommendations. And there's lots of books out there, but um, give and take. And I grew up in a family of givers. And so when I show up in the business setting now, or I meet somebody just to network over coffee and they aren't a giver, I can tell. And so I have a really strong belief that if you're going to show up in this world, you need to show up to serve, to love, to care and to give. And um, I don't surround myself with people who don't show up that way. I don't say yes to business clients or to individuals in my coaching practice that don't have that attitude of give. And that certainly comes from the family dynamics that I grew up in. Yeah, it, it really feels to me from listening to what you have to say that you feel that you have a rootedness Mm -hmm. Very much, very much. It's a very strong foundation. And, and when I moved away at 18 to go to university and um, after university and grad school, I went off and lived in Seattle and lived in the big city and was going to, you know, blaze my own path. And I did to some extent out there, but I still have that core foundation. And I love going back to Kansas and to see my family because I get reconnected with that in different ways in that community. And it's good. I also like your idea of having book recommendations on your website. I think I'm going to steal that idea. I think it's great. <laughs> it is. You know, I would mention books and podcasts or when I'm speaking and people would be like, "Where? what was that book again? And I would be like, just go to my website. They're in no particular order. When I mention a book, I just go add it to the list and I say, just go read those books. Well, I'm definitely going to go look that up. I'm going to Good. see if we have any uh, overlap. <laughs> yeah. And if you've got anything that I don't have um, listed, let me know. Happy. I always love, you know, TED Talks and books and um, thought leadership is is what I kind of crave as a way to continue to grow and invest in myself. So let me know. Yeah, I don't know how people continue to learn if they don't pay attention to those things. I, yeah, when I do speaking events, I'll often say, who are the thought leaders you follow? And when I don't have hands raised, I'm like, okay, you guys have got to get out of your little shell and your bubble of go to work, spend time with family. You got to think bigger than yourselves and see what other thought leaders are saying. And, and not just follow somebody because they're a popular star. Yeah, you have to find people who are thought leaders. And then the next step is don't just suck it in and, sit and repeat it. It's do I believe it? Could I live that? And then how do I go about using that in my work and my personal life in a way that's powerful? That leads me right into my next question, which is about well, uh, how you would say your temperament 
and your personality affect the way you see the world. And I think temperament, you're born with a certain uh, characteristics and virtues and qualities mm. that you might naturally do and, and also things that you might not be naturally averse to. It's built based on how you overcome difficulties and the, the opportunities that you have and how you develop from those opportunities. So uh, when you're talking about wanting to learn and always being interested in finding thought leaders, I'm wondering if that has something to do with your temperament or if that's something that you grew along the way. I'm going to age myself. I'm 51. I grew up in a household where we had a TV, middle of Kansas. Well, not middle, but rural Kansas. One TV tower and we got one TV station. And my mom took us to the library every week. And I still take my kids to the library. And I still love the library. And so I grew up in a culture where we read mm. a lot. You know, there was no sucked in on a phone or screen watching TV. It was, you worked hard, you read, you had discussions. We ate together. We ate breakfast together. We had dinner, evening meal together. And so I think for me, the way I show up now is very much how I was trained literally as a kid to show up in the world. You read, mm -hmm. you think, you discuss. Hard to separate that social context from actual temperament, isn't it? Yeah. And, and when you had given me these questions before our dialogue today, and, and I was like, temperament, what is my temperament that I was just born with? And I don't know. I, I had yeah. to kind of look that up, Marie, and was like, what is temperament versus personality? <laughs> because I, there's a part of me that's a researcher and likes to learn. So I looked that up and I'm like, I don't know how to separate it very easily. Yeah. And maybe you can't separate that. Uh, yeah. But it might be, for example, I have several grandchildren and one really likes to step back and take in the whole situation uh, and then just jumps in like both feet and like I'm there and nobody's taking me out of the center of the, <laughs> right? you know, and another one is like, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to participate in this until I am really comfortable. And I know that the whole situation is going to be one that I can, I can mm. participate in without feeling worried about it. Right. So, yeah. and you know, and the other one won't even start. It's just like, yeah. I'm going to go do a math problem on this napkin over here. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to be here. Right? So that, I would say those are more their temperament because right. they're all brought up in very social situations with sure. lots of community around them, but they, they each have their own way of approaching things. So. so with that as an example, I can tell you a little bit about how I am. I am okay. an introvert. Um, people are like, no, you're not. And I'm like, no, no, I'm an introvert. Like, so if I have to be speaking in front of a group or I have to be really kind of on um, I will crash and I need a nap. I need a good deal of introspective time to show up in a good way. And so I'm kind of a hang back and watch and process and listen and learn and ask good questions and like one-on-one -on -one or small group discussions versus big, big groups, although I do speak in front of large groups now. So my temperament is more of one quiet, um, introverted and, and not quite leap in too soon, kind of watch and wait and see what happens. And uh, yeah, that's how I show up. Mm -hmm. And then what would you say you've had to learn personality wise that maybe wasn't natural for you? Yeah, yeah, a really good point. So um, when I was in my early 20s, I was working out in Seattle for a large financial institution. Um, my boss was a senior leader, VP title, and I had to do some speaking in front of some executives. And she's like, Oh, Denise, I just need to let you know, you get really flushed, like your chest I had a v-neck shirt on that day and your chest and you kind of get blotchy and you, I can tell you're nervous and your voice kind of shakes and I think you need to invest in some turtlenecks and I'm like thank you I will do that <laughs> <laughs> right I was nervous and so what I have learned is to be a bit of an actress right so when I am in a certain specific situation we talked about executive presence before 
how you dress, how you show up, the tone of your voice. Does it uplift at the end of a sentence or does it drop? We've got the story from Margaret Thatcher and how she took voice lessons to get her voice to be at a certain level so she could command respect and so forth as a leader of, of a country. Um, but I look at that and I think, you know, I had to learn how to act like an introvert. I had to learn how to get up, up in front of audiences with confidence. I had to learn to put myself in situations that were really uncomfortable. And so I have a philosophy of, you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable if you're going to grow and learn. And so I forced myself into that. Most business owners have to have that philosophy. Yes. <laughs> because business just makes you question everything and wonder mm -hmm. what the heck you're doing and how are you going to make this work? And it's a crash course in personal development. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Your yeah. weaknesses become amplified. <laughs> yes. I was dating an entrepreneur at the time when I was deciding whether I wanted to move from my corporate job or to start my own business. And, and he said, you know, if you want to start your own business, you'll figure out where you've got your hurdles and your stories that um, are holding you back. You'll figure it out really fast because you won't have the business results you want. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sign on to that. I'm going to start my own business. And boy, was he right. Yeah, I think you had it in your blood for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can you recall a time when you became aware that your cultural understandings were really specific to you and your culture and not just normal. Like, for example, it must have been a shock for you to move to go to university from a farming community. But yeah. I bet you that there are others too. And now you're probably dealing with clients where that their work culture is quite different than what you would be expecting when you walk in. Yeah, I've got lots of stories around that. So certainly coming from a rural farming community of less than 5,000 people in that little town to university was a big leap. But then I also moved from, I went to university in Kansas at Kansas State University, but then I also moved to Seattle after that, um, but essentially following a job and, and the man who became my husband at the time. And growing to big city was really big. And then working for a large organization, the biggest savings and loan financial institutions, and learning how to dress and how to speak and some of those rural mannerisms that I had grown up with and rural assumptions were really broken in a world where in HR, you're focused on diversity and inclusion and in the small little farming community that it was in, everybody was white and most everybody was Christian and there was not, even in food we ate, we, there was a certain culture in terms of food you ate. And when I moved to Seattle, there was, you know, a lot of different food. So, so that, yeah, there were a lot of things like that, that, um, I realized that I had lived in a very much of a bubble and very sheltered life. And it, I had my eyes open very quickly as to what the rest of the world experiences. And, and I'm glad I had that. I, I struggle when I go back to visit family sometimes because they don't have those same life experiences as I do. And my beliefs are not aligned to theirs 100% anymore. And that's okay because I have had a different life than them. Mm -hmm. It's always difficult to negotiate that knowing a, a community deeply and then knowing broadly many communities. Mm -hmm. And you can never know those new communities as deeply as the one that you spent time in. Right. It's a disconnecting experience. But at the same time, you might feel like you could belong or that you have a, a close friend in a community you would never have run across before. But right. it's just such a kinship that you can't describe. You right. Know? right. I, yeah. And I'll give you an example. I, um, I live here in Denver, Colorado, but I have a second home up in the mountains. And there is a difference between people who live up in the mountains versus people who live in Denver and totally. the metro area, right? Mm -hmm. And so that is a dichotomy when we go up to the mountains and my kids and I are, are playing up there and the lifestyle and what people say yes to is different than what motivations and things here. There, it's like all about getting on the ski hill and 
you know, it's a good powder day, et cetera, and we're going to park work, whereas down here, it's not so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got to get the work done, right? And so you can shift if you're emotionally intelligent, and, and if you are aware and you're good at observing, you can kind of shift um, those cultural norms that you grew up with and kind of flex to fit in in other areas later in your life. To a certain extent, you still run against a wall. You do, you do. There, there are things that you sometimes have to recognize that you're making assumptions because of cultural understandings and norms that you grew up with that, oh, wow, that doesn't fit here. Right, and then people don't always want you to just pretend you're like them either. Right. They're just, they're just like, okay, your willingness to adapt and be flexible is wonderful, but we don't pretend you're us because you never will be. <laughs> right, right, yeah. There's, yeah, certain people have an attitude where you're not in the in crowd. And yeah, and I've certainly felt that in corporations when I've worked in certain corporations. I um, worked in a one large company where a lot of people had worked in the same company or in some some consulting firms prior to joining this one and they were the in crowd and those of us who didn't have that background were not included and you know the meeting happens after the meeting that they were in the in crowd and they had those separate meetings and that's where the decisions were made and the rest of us didn't get to really play wholly into that space and so unless you create your own game yeah and and ultimately i think that's what kind of got one of the many things that triggered me to to start my own company is like you know i i just didn't want to play some of those games anymore it just didn't feel real it didn't feel authentic and i needed to change start your own game and invite people into it yes which is what you did yeah maybe this is a good space for you to talk a little bit about your work in becoming a certified board consultant or board candidate and then and why you did that what that means and how I mean part of it's setting your own game and part of it is going in there at a level where you can make a difference and make a difference changing the game yeah so you bring up a good point certainly as I played in the HR space in large companies I was very focused on diversity and inclusion and how do we get more women in leadership how do we get them to stay how do we get them into the c-suite positions how do we get them to stay how do we create the the funnels in terms of succession planning to have more leaders that aren't just women but people of color and um, LGBTQ community etc and how do we be more inclusive but as I've gotten older I I suppose I've gotten a little disillusioned when I read the reports that it's going to take x number of hundred years to change the gender equity landscape and and to bring things around to be more equitable across different groups and I had been watching the different board trainings for women there are a number of programs here in the U.S. for that and I happened to go see someone. Um, it was kind of a networking event. The woman's name is Michelle Ashby at Ace Consulting, and she has a program where she is training a thousand women to be on board. And what's great about Michelle is she has been on boards herself for more than fifteen years, and both Canada and the U.S. is her focus. And um, her training program wasn't just the executive presence and the tactics of how do you build a board resume, but it was role-playing a board meeting. It was really using her expertise and her connections to create a program that was really powerful. And so I went through that program this last fall. And my goal now is to get on a public board for a small to mid-sized company up to 10 billion in revenue. They're the extraction, construction, engineering, or technology space love those types of industries and have contributed to those in the past. And so would love to um, contribute and play bigger in that space beyond the space of just running my own company and, and being an executive advisor as an HR consultant. You would be so valuable on a board because you have this deep HR experience. You have also uh, this understanding of 
what it feels like to move between cultures and to have to overcome obstacles and difficulties and uh, what it feels like to be on the outside, which is often missing from boards because everybody that's on the board has always been on the inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I think I've got the right compensation background to be on a compensation committee, and I've got a good operational background to be on an audit committee uh, board. So, yeah, I would love to get to play in that space, and I've been on boards before and um, would like to get on a, a public board in a paid role to uh, contribute my expertise in that space. You know, another question that came up when we were talking earlier that I really want to put into this interview because it's something (laughs) people ask me all the time and I really would like to hear your thoughts on it. And that is, you know, how do you create great cultures and companies? I think it's pretty easy to state it if you're starting from that mindset of we're going to create the culture that we want. But when when you come into a culture that's already established, you can have some influence and yeah. that's something to look at. And But sometimes also cultures have become toxic and you may be in a situation where you're working with a leadership that has some personality issues like narcissism or yeah. psychopathy. You know, if you look at the snakes in suits book, uh, yeah. you know, so you've got those three different spaces. You've got one where you, you can actually create the culture that you want uh, and make conscious and intentional effort, then you've got the one where it seems to be that there's one there, but how do you actually find it and negotiate it? And then you've got the yeah. one where it's clearly toxic. And what are you going to do in that situation? Mm-hmm. Leave, right? So um, I'm just wondering if you have some thoughts on those three types of company cultures that you could provide yeah. insights about. You know, I think certainly from a, if you're in a startup mode as a business leader, you know, you have the choice in terms of who are the people that you bring on your team? How do you create interactions and dialogue about the values and the behaviors that are accepted and what aren't. And so you've got a clean slate. It's not easy, but at least you, you don't have to fix some of the really bad stuff that can happen in companies. And then there are certainly, let's go to the other extreme, the toxic ones. I was talking to a consultant friend of mine and we were talking about some of the marketing materials she wants to create because she's in the human capital space. And And she's like, you know, I've got some of these small companies, less than 50 people, and they've got such toxic cultures that in order to change things, they complain, the business leaders complain that employees' brains drop out of their heads as they walk in the front door and they aren't really being accountable. And so it shows up and the employee will say, well, what do you want me to do? All right, write me a work order for that or send me an email and then I will go execute on that. And they don't provide any feedback. There's no dialogue. There's no thinking. There's, right? And so when we're talking about how do you fix a culture like that when it's so toxic and it's not really focused on productivity and everybody being their best self. And I said, you know, you got to get really clear on what are you going to say yes to? What are you going to tolerate in terms of behavior? Um, and what is, is not tolerable anymore? And you have to tell people why you're changing, create a vision for the future and why what they've been doing is no longer acceptable. And then you have to follow through and have the difficult conversations about performance and attitude and, and results. And then if they don't change, you have to be willing to put them on a performance improvement plan or you fire them. And you have to have the ability to find in your workspace, wherever you are in the, in the world, to find other talent, other people who can come in and show up with the right attitude and with the right um, way of being um, in order to drive change. And if you aren't really willing to do those hard conversations, those difficult conversations and really reset expectations, you're not going to change things. Well, what if the person making all those decisions at the top is the one who's the most toxic? Then you better talk to the board. Or the advisory, whoever, you know, hired them. There's somebody, even the CEO is reporting to the board. You've got to talk to those leaders and help them understand how 
the most senior leader in the organization, the CEO, is, is acting and behaving badly and how that's impacting results and demonstrate that it can be done better. I guess it also depends on how much you're willing to go through personally. Yeah, I mean, we don't like to think about it, but there is retaliation when you step up and you try to fix things. I mean, we've all seen the Me Too movement and how many, there's many of us who've got personal stories, and I certainly do, of being um, in situations where I didn't speak up because I thought the retaliation would be worse than what I was going through, and what I was going through was still pretty bad. So you have to decide. And there's the short game, right? And then there's the long game. I firmly believe that, those organizations who have leaders who are that creating a toxic culture and tolerating things that they shouldn't will not last. They will go by the wayside because Mm -hmm. those organizations aren't going to attract the right people. And your competitive advantage in business is you can have the same services, the same technology, the same products as anybody else, but your competitive advantage is your people, how they treat your customers, how they treat each other. And organizations, businesses will not be in business over the long term if they have toxic cultures. They don't last. And when we start seeing equal numbers of women and men in leadership positions, a lot of this stuff will disappear. You look at any, I mean, I work with either male-dominated or female-dominated cultures for the, for the majority. That's basically right. it. It's the majority are male-dominated, then I have some that are female-dominated. Both have sure. a lot of problems. Both they have do. bullying. Both have issues. As soon yes. as you get to a 50-50%, you can correct things a lot more easily. And that it's, you know, we need each other to make equitable and wise decisions. Too homogenous of an environment, it just doesn't work. And we need the LGBT community. We need people of different races. We need people who are able-bodied and people who are disabled. We need people who are of different ages. We need such a broad diversity and we need everybody to feel like they're in a trusting environment where they can speak their point of view and be heard. And And that they will be trustworthy in return. Yeah. And they won't be retaliated against, right? We don't Mm -hmm. have a space of fear. And, you know, I do think there are a lot of really good souls who are trying to fix things, but it really does come down to leading yourself. I would also say I had this epiphany when I was talking to another consultant here in the Denver area a couple of years ago. And I was saying, you know, there's so much dysfunction in the corporate environment. We're talking about culture. And he said, but think about it, Denise. And this is going to be a tangent, Marie, that's back to what we were talking about before. Think about how many of us grew up in families that are dysfunctional. Think about us who are trained at birth to adult that, you know, showing up in a certain way is the right way to show up in the world. And it's bullying and it's, you know, being negative and it's right. And if that's truly how you grew up, it is really hard as an adult to change and to behave in a different way, unless you've got some serious motivation to change and to make that change stick. So it's no wonder when we have dysfunctional families and dysfunctional um, things as children that we carry that into the workplace. There is a part of me that thinks, you know, obviously we can get more men, women, and diversity in the workplace and inclusion, but until we fix things at home, we're not going to fix things. And fixing things at home is a spiritual and moral initiative. Yes. Yeah, it, you have to feel is. that this is who you are and your purpose, and that this is part of contributing to the world in a way that you're re- responsible to it because we're all related to everything and everybody. And right. so, until those connections are made uh, in the mind and the heart, you don't mm-hmm. we're not going to see any change. So, no. uh, all of us had some level of dysfunction and some much worse than others, but. And it's a, the family is always a microcosm of the community and the region in the world, right? So problems that we're having in families are mirrored everywhere, but yes. that still comes from that not having 
a sense of who you are and a, and a foundation. When you were talking about earlier on, you were talking about your growing up in a community where people talked about faith and they talked about mm -hmm. the standards, the moral standards that they were adhering to, and that there was um, an agreed upon moral code, and there, you know, spirituality was woven throughout the yeah. day. And I think we can have that in a diverse environment in a much better and deeper way because we have to be even more respectful and understand the spiritual principles that are in all religious yeah. beliefs and in no religious beliefs because they govern things you know if you're going to yeah. keep speaking to people in a cruel way you're going to have a certain result in the same way as if you keep trying to defy gravity you're going to have a certain result so those things matter but until we start seeing ourselves as being pivotal in all of that and that can either come from some aha moment uh mm -hmm. you know and speaking with someone that matters to us or it can come from a crisis right or from ongoing desire to learn but it's yeah got to come from somewhere yeah and i'll share a little bit of my personal journey my husband passed away about 10 years ago and and i have been in recent years in the dating world and one of the things that has struck me is how many walking wounded there are in the world mm, yes. and i certainly saw it from an hr perspective in the workforce but certainly dating too in my 50s is i'm astounded at the walking wounded and how many people are so broken because of past relationships family or otherwise and i don't know that we prioritize mental health as much as we should in this world i don't think we prioritize spiritual and faith of some aspect and you can believe what you want to believe but I don't think we prioritize that as much as we need to sometimes and there are a lot of things broken but I also have hope I, I have hope because I'm I'm surrounded also by a lot of people who are becoming more conscious and more aware and I think there are a lot of good people in the world who are trying to give people hope and to trying to give people methodologies and tactics to, to get from where they're at which could be a pretty broken bad place to, to better and a little bit better and a little bit better each day can be a profound thing. So I have hope for better. We have to, otherwise there's no point, right? Right, right. Well, Denise, um, we're just about at the end of the interview. It's been really interesting. I could definitely speak with you all day. <laughs> <laughs> I could as well. We have a lot of uh, uh, common interests, but a lot of um, differing perspectives. I think we could learn from each other. And I hope mm -hmm. your audience feels the same way as they listen to your podcast episodes. I know that certainly the podcasts that I've listened to in, in the past have been um, good about getting me to think differently and, and to express myself differently. Yeah, I'm so grateful to the whole podcast technology because it, yeah. <laughs> it allows us to get perspectives that we ordinarily would not have a chance to, to get. So my last question is the idea that, you know, you're in the process of negotiating contracts all the time and, you know, right. you, you're going to have to look, you're looking for new clients. So what tips would you give to somebody about how it would be best to work with you? What would bring out the best oh. in you? Um, so in terms of working with me, you know, I'm a firm believer in setting the vision. What is success? What does that look like if I'm working with a business owner or if I'm working with an individual? Where are you at today? What's that gap? And what do we need to do to close the gap? So, so the, wait, let me backtrack because I really like those questions. So the okay. first one was, what does success look like? So I work then, on two sides of the equation, right? With mm -hmm. business owners and with individuals. So with each, I'm like, what is success? So with a business, it's typically financial, customer service, operations, some sort of learning growth as they prepare for the future. So there's typically in that. So what is success? What is that? When I'm working with individuals, it's like, you, do you want a promotion? Do you want a new job? Do you want to switch from being an accountant to being a yoga teacher? What do, what do you want to do? What does success mean to you? Mm -hmm. And then where are you at today? What's that gap? And then come up with a plan to bridge that gap. And then 
intermixed with that, what is the stories that you or your team are telling themselves that are preventing you from reaching your success goals, whatever those are? Because I'm also a storyteller. Which is why you're fun to interview. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. But, I, but I'm a storyteller because we tell ourselves stories internally all day long, right? We are having this internal dialogue all day long. And so are your employees if you're a business owner. And those stories either help us or they hinder us. And so where do you want to be? Where are you today? What is the gap? What do you need to get there? And then what are those crazy ass stories? You need to stop. You need to reprogram yourself and think differently. And this is the coaching piece that I do, right? And I'll, by asking questions, by calling those stories out, I'll discover, oh, that's what you, is it, do you truly believe that? Or is that just a story? Is that truly fact? Or is that fiction? Where does mm -hmm. that come from? Does that come from childhood? Does it come from another experience? And when, if you can get into those stories, that's really where the breakthroughs come through. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to say that one more time because I really like them. So what does success look like? Where am I at today? What is the gap? And what do I need to do to get there? And what are the stories I'm telling myself that could be stopping me from reaching that goal? What are helping? What's hindering? What's helping and what's right? hindering? And it's little things like, oh my gosh, well, you know, that one boss said I was disorganized and I'm such a disorganized person. I'm never going to, I can't start my own business because I'm unorganized. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Is that really true? Like, really, is that really true? Mm -hmm. And I'll give you another book that um, I think is really good. Um, Byron Katie, have you read? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. The work, right? Yes. The work questions, for, the work, mm -hmm. right? People can go. Is it true? Oh, dang. can you be absolutely sure that it's true? And then how do I feel when I believe that it's true? <laughs> what, what else could it, be true, right? What, what, yeah. What else could be true? Then what would be the... Um, if I could not believe this, how would I react to the situation or to this person and then turn right. it around? Turn it around, right? The turn, turn it around. Yeah. It's a fantastic methodology because it'll get you out of those spaces of telling yourself stories that don't lead to success, whatever mm -hmm. you define as success. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you also, and there was a time I was a weight loss coach uh, for a program. You also have, a, have to have a big enough why. Why do I want that picture of success that I said that I needed, right? If you're a business owner and this means success, if you're an individual and this means success, why do you want it? Going from where you're at today to that new vision of success is hard. It is change and change is hard and we have to pick our heart. So you can say stuck where you're at or you can go toward the future, but you got to pick your heart. Mm -hmm. And so many times we focus on what we're losing by letting go of the things in our past or that where we're at today and we don't focus on what we would gain. You also have to get really in touch with why. Why do I want that definition of success? Why is that important to me? How is that going to impact my, my, how I earn, how I use money? How's that going to impact my relationships? How's that going to impact my time? How is that going to impact my health? What is your why? And when you get really grounded in that, you can make massive change very quickly. But if you don't get really connected to that and you don't you know, break down those stories that are holding you back, you'll stay stuck. That's the spiritual work we were talking about before. Yeah, you'll stay stuck. Yeah. So listen, this was just awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, just that you can find me at prosperconsultingllc.com. Uh, one of the things that I have out there is a store and I have Know Your Worth t-shirts because I believe we all have to know our worth. I want one yeah, of those. There I'm going to go. give it to everybody I know. Um, and because one of the things that I like to do when I do podcasts is give away a free gift. So I am willing for anybody who sends me an email 
and you'll find my email address at that website, prosperconsultingllc.com. I'm willing to send you a list of free resources so you can find out what is your job worth? Where do you go to get research and figure out what is your job worth so you can go have that difficult conversation about your pay and your performance and, and go um, get some more money? Wow, that's great. This has been so valuable. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. And I know that the listeners for the Culture and Leadership Podcast Connections are going to benefit greatly. They might want to listen two or three times to get all the gems that there are in there. (laughs) Well, if anybody missed anything and you want a free 15-minute strategy call to just, you know, dive deeper in something or you just want to strategize about an issue you've got, happy to have that um, type of a phone call as well. And people can find that on my website under the word contact you can find perfect contact me well in the show notes we'll put all of those links so that people have them and they can connect with you super thank you so much denise thank you for having me marie denise libertrow has a life trajectory that took her from rural roots and a love of the agricultural lifestyle to different cultures around the world and a practice of assisting organizations with creating a culture of inclusion and respect. She speaks openly about her personal and professional influences and difficulties and has great examples and stories to describe the journey of integration across differences and finding common goals. It felt very natural to interview Denise and I'm sure we could have spoken for another hour about all the questions I had for her. Check out Denise's website at Prosper Consulting where you can see up close how she connects the dots between people and performance. Thank you for listening, and may culture and leadership connections continue to guide and illumine your world. Remember that if you have someone who would make a great podcast guest for the Culture and Leadership Connections interviews, or maybe if that someone is you, you could send an email to marie at shiftworkplace.com and we can talk. Newsflash, have you downloaded our Future of Work set of three articles? Reading them provides you with the cutting-edge insights you need to develop a new career, transition into a different industry, position yourself for a new job, or start a business in ways that are aligned with the trends and disruptions of work in the world today. Make sure you are positioned to both survive and thrive. Download our Future of Work white paper article set here. It is shiftworkplace.co slash futureofworkplace white paper. That is shiftworkplace.co slash future of work white paper. And get started on the news you need today to stay current.